0: Chapter 32 of Mary Annerly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Annerly by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter 32 Tactics of Attack. The poise of this great enterprise was hanging largely in the sky, from which come all things and to which resolved they are referred again the sky to hold an equal balance or to decline all troublesome responsibility about it went away or to put it more politely retired from the scene even as nine men out of ten when a handsome fight is toward would rather have no opinion on the merits but abide in their breeches and there keep their hands till the fist of the victor is opened So, at this period, the upper firmament nodded a strict neutrality, and yet, on the whole, it must have indulged a sneaking proclivity toward free trade. Otherwise, why should it have been as follows? November now was far advanced, and none but sanguine Britons hoped, at least in this part of the world, to know, except from memory and predictions of the Almanac, whether the sun were round or square until next Easter day should come. It was not quite impossible that he might appear at Candlemass, when he is supposed to give a dance, though hitherto a strictly private one, but even so this premature frisk of his were undesirable, if faith in ancient rhyme be any. But putting him out of the question, as he had already put himself, the things that were below him, and— from length of practice manage well to shape their course without him, were moving now and managing themselves with moderation. The tone of the clouds was very mild, and so was the color of the sea. A comely fog involved the day, and a decent mist restrained the night from ostentatious waste of stars. It was not such very bad weather, but a capacious man might find fault with it, and only a thoroughly cheerful one could enlarge upon its merits. Plainly enough, these might be found by anybody having any core of rest inside him, or any gift of turning over upon a rigidly neutral side, and considerably outgazing the color of his eyes. Commander Nettlebones was not of poetic, philosophic, or vague mind. "'What a dumb fog!' he exclaimed in the morning and he used the same words in the afternoon through a speaking-trumpet as the two other cutters ranged up within hail. This they did very carefully, at the appointed rendezvous, toward the fall of the afternoon and hauled their wind under easy sail, shivering in the southwestern breeze. "'Not half so bad as it was,' returned Bowler, being of a cheerful mind. "'It is liftin' every minute, sir. Have you had sight of anything?' not a blessed stick except a fishing-boat what makes you ask lieutenant why sir as we rounded in it lifted for a moment and i saw a craft some two leagues out standing straight in for us the devil you did what was she like and where away lieutenant a heavy lugger under all sail about east northeast as near as may be "'She's standing for Robin Hood's Bay, I believe, and In an hours' time she'll be upon us, "'if the weather keeps so thick. "'She may have seen you and sheared off. "'Stand straight for her, as nigh as you can guess. "'The fog is lifting, as you say. "'If you sight her, signal instantly. "'Lieutenant Donovan, have you heard Bowler's news?' "'Sure, and if it wasn't for the fog, I would. "'Every word of it come to me as clear as seeing very well carry on a little to the south half a league or so then stand out but keep within sound of signal i shall bear up presently it is clearing every minute and we must nab them the fog began to rise in loops and alleys with the upward pressure of the evening breeze which freshened from the land in lines and patches according to the run of cliff here the water darkened with the ruffle of the wind and there it lay quiet with a glassy shine or gentle shadows of variety soon the three cruisers saw one another clearly and then they all sighted an approaching sail this was a full bowed vessel of quaint rig heavy sheer and extraordinary build a foreigner clearly and an ancient one she differed from a lugger as widely as a lugger differs from a schooner and her broad spread of canvas combined the features of square and of fore-and-aft tackle. But whatever her build or rig might be, she was going through the water at a strapping pace, heavily laden as she was, with her long yards creaking, and her broad frame croaking, and her deep bows driving up the fountains of the sea, her enormous mainsail upon the mizzenmast, or mainmast, for she only carried two, was hung obliquely, yet not as a lugger's, slung at one-third of its length, but bent to a long yard hanging fore and aft, with a long fore-end sloping down to midship. This great sail gave her vast power when close-hauled, and she carried a square sail on the foremast and a square sail on either topmast. "'Lord, have mercy! She could run us all down if she tried!' exclaimed Commander Nettlebones. AND WHAT ARE MY pop guns AGAINST SUCH BEAM? FOR A WHILE THE BILLUNDER SEEMED TO MEAN TO TRY IT, FOR SHE CARRIED ON TOWARD THE CENTRAL CRUISER AS IF SHE HAD NOT SEEN ONE OF THEM. THEN, BEAUTIFULLY HANDLED, SHE BROUGHT TO AND WAS SCUDDING BEFORE THE WIND IN ANOTHER MINUTE, LEADING THEM ALL A BRAVE, STERN CHASE OUT TO SEA. IT MUST BE THAT DARE DEVIL Leith HIMSELF, Nettlebone said as the swordfish strained WITH ALL CANVAS SET BUT NO GAIN MADE, no other fellow in all the world would dare to beard us in this style i'd lay ten guineas if donovan's guns won't go off if he tries them oh i thought so a fizz and a stink trust an irishman for this gallant lieutenant slanting toward the bows of the flying billender which he had no hope of fore-reaching trained his long swivel gun upon her and let go or rather tried to let go at her BUT HIS POWDER WAS WET, OR ELSE THERE WAS SOME STOPPAGE, FOR THE ONLY RESULT WAS A SPURT OF SMOKE INWARD, AND A POWDERY ERUPTION ON HIS OWN RED CHEEKS. I WISH I COULD HAVE HEARD HIM SWEAR, GRUMBLED NUTTLEBONES. THAT WOULD HAVE BEEN WORTH SOMETHING. A BOWLER IS FURTHER OUT. BOWLER WILL CROSS HER BOWS. AND HE'S NOT A FOOL. DON'T BE IN A HURRY, MY FINE BOB LEATH. YOU'RE NOT CLEAR YET, THOUGH YOU CRACK ON LIKE A TROOPER. WELL DONE, BOWLER. "'You've headed him. "'By Jove, I don't understand these tactics. "'Stand by there. "'She's running back again.' "'To the great amazement of all on board the cruisers, "'except perhaps one or two, "'the great Dutch vessel, "'which might haply have escaped "'by standing on her present course, "'spun round like a top, "'and bore in again among her three pursuers. "'She had the heels of all of them before the wind "'and might have run down any interceptor, "'but seemed not to know it, "'or to lose all nerve, "'Thank the Lord in Heaven all rogues are fools. "'She may double as she will, but she's ours now. "'Signal Albatross and Kestrel to stand in.' "'In a few minutes all four were standing for the bay. "'The Dutch vessel leading with all sails set "'and cruisers following warily and spreading "'to head her from the north or south. "'It was plain that they had her well in the toils. "'She must either surrender or run ashore. "'Close-hauled as she was,' She could not run them down, even if she would dream of such an outrage. So far from showing any sign of rudeness was the smuggling vessels that she would not even plead want of light as excuse for want of courtesy. For running past the royal cutters who took much longer to come about, she saluted each of them with deep respect for the swallow-tail of His Majesty, and then she bore on like the admiral's ship with signal for all to follow her. "'Such cursed impudence never did I see!' cried every one of the revenue skippers as they all were compelled to obey her. "'Surrender she must, or else run upon the rocks. Does the fool know what he's driving at?' The fool, who was master James Brown of Grimsby, knew very well what he was about. Every shoal and sounding and rocky gut was thoroughly familiar to him and the spread of faint light on the waves and along shore told him all his bearings. The loud cackle of laughter, which Grimsby men, at the cost of the rest of the world, enjoy, was carried by the wind to the ears of nettlebones. The latter set fast his teeth and ground them, for now, in the rising of the large full moon, he perceived that the beach of the cove was black with figures gathering rapidly. "'I see the villain's game! It's all clear now!' "'he shouted as he slammed his spyglass. "'He means to run in where we dare not follow. "'And he knows that Carraway is out of hail. "'The hull may go smash for the sake of the cargo, "'and his flat-bottomed tub can run where we cannot. "'I dare not carry after him, court-martial, if I do. "'That is where those fellows beat us always. "'But by the Lord, Harry, he shall not prevail. "'Guns are no good. "'The rogue knows that. "'We will land round the point and nab him.' By this time the moon was beginning to open the clouds, and strew the waves with light, and the vapors which had lain across the day, defying all power of sun-ray, were gracefully yielding and departing softly at the insinuating whisper of the gliding night. Between the busy rolling of the distant waves and the shining prominence of forward cliffs, a quiet space was left for ships to sail in and for men to show activity in shooting one another and some of these were hurrying to do so if they could there's little chance of hitting him in this bad light but let him have it jenkins and a guinea for you if, if you could only bring that mainsail down the gunner was yearning for this and the bellow of his piece responded to the captain's words but the shot only threw up a long path of fountains and the billender ploughed on as merrily as before Hard aboard by the lord i've felt her touch go about "'So, so easy. Now lie too for Kestrel and Albatross to join. "'My, surdy, but that was a narrow shave. "'How the beggar would have laughed if we had grounded. "'Give them another shot. It will do the gun good. "'She wants a little exercise.' "'Nothing loath was the master gunner, "'as the other bow-gun came into bearing "'to make a little more noise in the world "'and possibly produce a greater effect.' and therein he must have had a grand success and established a noble reputation by carrying off a great grimsby head if he only had attended to a little matter gunner jenkins was a celebrated shot and the miss he had made stirred him up to shoot again if the other gun was crooked this one should be straight and dark as it was in shore he got a patch of white ground to sight by the billender was a good sizable object, and not to hit her anywhere would be too bad. He considered these things carefully, and cocked both eyes, with a twinkling ambiguity between them, then trusting mainly to the left one, as an ancient gunner for the most part does, he watched the due moment, and fired. The smoke curled over the sea, and so did the Dutchman's main-top sail, for the mast beneath it was cut clean through. Some of the crew were frightened, as may be the bravest man when for the first time shot at, but James Brown rubbed his horny hands. "'Now this is a good judgment for that yonker Robin Leith,' he shouted aloud with the glory of a man who has verified his own opinions. "'He puts all the danger upon his elders, and tells them there's none of it. I might just as well have been my head if a wave hadn't lifted the muzzle when that straight-eyed chap let fire.' Bare hand, boys, and cut away the wreck. He hathn't got never another shot to send. He hath saved us the trouble of shortening that air canvas. We don't need too much way on her. This was true enough, as all hands knew, for the craft was bound to take the beach without going to pieces yet a while. Jem Brown stood at the wheel himself and carried her in with consummate skill. It goeth to my heart to throw away good stuff he grumbled at almost every creak. two hundred pound i would have paid myself for this here piece of timber steady as a lighthouse and handy as a mop but what do they young fellows care there now my lads hold your legs a moment and now make your best of that with a crash and a grating and a long sad grind the nuptial ark of the wealthy dutchman cast herself into her last bed and berth "'It done right well,' said the Grimsby man. The poor old Billender had made herself such a hole in the shingle that she rolled no more, but only lifted at the stern and groaned. As the quiet waves swept under her, the beach was swarming with men who gave her a cheer and flung their hats up, and in two or three minutes as many gangways of timber and rope were rigged to her hawse-holes or fore chains or almost anywhere.' and then the rolling of puncheons began, and the hoisting of bales, and the thump, and the creak, and the laughter, and the swearing. Now be you particular, uncommon particular, never start a stave, nor fray a bale. Powerful precious stuff this time. Gold every bit of it, if it are a penny. They blessed coast-riders will be on us round that point. But never you hurry, lads, the more for that." better almost to let have it than damage a drop or a thread of such goods all right captain brown don't you be so wonderful and easy not the first time we've handled such stuff i'm not so sure o that replied brown as he lit a short pipe and began to puff i've a run some afore but never none so precious then the men of the coast and the sailors worked with a will and by broad light of the moon which showed their brawny arms and panting chests with the hoisting and the heaving and the rolling in less than an hour three-fourths of the cargo was landed and some already stowed inland where no preventive eye could penetrate then captain brown put away his pipe and was busy in a dark empty part of the hold with some barrels of his own which he covered with a sailcloth presently the tramp of marching men was heard in a lane on the north side of the cove and then the like sound echoed from the south now never you hurry said the Grimsby man the others however could not attain such standard of equanimity they fell into sudden confusion and babble of tongues and hesitation everybody longing to be off but nobody liking to run without something good and to get away with anything at all substantial even in the dark was difficult because there were cliffs in front and the flanks would be stopped by men with cutlasses Stand you still cried captain brown never you budge ne'er one of you i stands upon my legitimacy and i answer for the consequence i takes all responsibility like all honest britons they loved long words and they knew that if the worst came to the worst a mere broken head or two would make all straight So they huddled together in the moonlight waiting, and no one desired to be the outside man, and while they were striving for precedence toward the middle, the coast guards from either side marched upon them, according to their very best drill and in high discipline, to knock down almost any man with the pommel of the sword. But the smugglers also showed high discipline under the commanding voice of Captain Brown every man stone with his hands to his sides and ask of the soldiers for a pinch of packa this made them laugh till captain nettlebone strode up in the name of his Majesty, surrender all you fellows you are fairly caught in the very act of landing a large run of goods contraband it is high time to make an example of you where is your skipper lads robin leith come forth it may please your good honour and his majesty's commission said Brown in his full round voice as he walked down the broadest of the gangways leisurely. My name is not Robin Leith, but James Brown, a family man of Grimsby, and an honest trader upon the high seas. My cargo was medical water and rags, mainly for the use of the revenue men. By reason they hadn't had their new uniforms this twelve months. Several of the enemy began to giggle for their winter supply of clothes had failed through some lapse of the department. But Nettlebones marched up and collared Captain Brown and said, You are my prisoner, sir. Surrender, Robin Leith, this moment. Brown made no resistance, but respectfully touched his hat and thought. I were trying to call upon my memory, he said as the revenue officer led him aside and promised him that he should get off easily if he would only give up his chief. "'I am not going to deny, Your Honour, that I have heard tell of the name Robin Leith. "'But my memory never do come in a moment. "'Now, were he a man in the contraband-line?' "'Brown, if you want to provoke me, it will only be ten times worse for you. "'Now, give him up like an honest fellow, and I will do my best for you. "'I might even let a few tubs slip by.' "'Sir?' I'm a stranger around these parts, and the lingo is beyond me. "'Tubs is a bucket as the women use for washing. Never I heard of any other sort of tubs. But my mate, he knoweth more of Yorkshire talk. Jack, here, his honor is a speaking about tubs. Ever you hear of tubs, Jack? Make the villain fast to yonder mooring post, shouted Nettlebones, losing his temper, and one of you stand by him with a hanger ready. "'Now, Master Brown, we'll see what tubs are, if you please, "'and what sort of rags you land at night. "'One chance more for you. "'Will you give up Robin Leith?' "'Yes, sir, that I will, without two thoughts about'n. "'Only too happy, as the young women say, "'to give him up quick stick, so soon as ever I had gotten. "'If ever there was a contumacious rogue!' "'Roll up a couple of those punchions, Mr. Avery, and now light half a dozen links. "'Have you got your spigot-heels and rummers? "'Very good. "'Lieutenant Donovan, Mr. Avery, and Senior Volunteer Brett, "'oblige me by standing by to verify. "'Gentlemen, we will endeavour to hold what is judiciously called an assay, "'a proof of the purity of substances.' The brand on these casks is of the very highest order, the renowned mynheer van Dunk himself. Donovan, you shall be our foreman. I have heard you say that you understood ardent spirits from your birth. Fakes, and I quite forgot, Commander, whether I was weaned on or off of them. But the phone judge me father was come down to me. Honey, don't be nervous. Slope it well, then. A little thick, is it? all oh, the richer for that same my boy commander here's the good health of his majesty Oh lord mr corcoran donovan fell upon the shingle and rolled and bellowed sure me insides out tis poisoned i am every mordial bit of me a doctor a doctor and a place to kill me that ever i should live to die like this Oh chone oh John, every bit of me ought to be brought forth upon good whisky and to go out of this world upon doctor stuff most folk does that when they ought to turn ends otherwise james brown of grimsby could see how things were going though his power to aid was restricted by a double turn of rope around him but a kind hand had given him a pipe and his manner was to take things easily commander or captain or whatever ye be with your king's clothes constructing a hole in the flints tis medical water and your own wife wouldn't know you to-morrow your complexion will be like a angel's. you turned rogue cried nettlebone striding up a sword flashing in the link lights if ever i had a mind to cut any man down well sir do it then upon a roped man if the honour of the british navy calleth for it my will is made and my widow will have action and the executioner of my will is a grimsby man with a pile of money made in the line of saltfish and such like brown you are a brave man and i would scorn to harm you now upon your honour are all your puncheons filled with that stuff and nothing else upon my word of honour sir they are some a little weaker some with more bilge-water in it or a trifle of a dash from the midden the main of it however in the very same condition as bubbleth out what they call the spawses. my captain you must have lived long enough to know particular if gifted with a family that no sort of spirit as were ever stilled will fetch so much money by the gallon as the doctor's stuff doth by the file-bottle.' "'That is true enough. But no lies, Brown, particularly when upon your honour. If you were importing doctor's stuff, why did you lead us such a dance and stand fire?' "'Well, your honour, you must promise not to be offended, if I tell you a little mistake we made. We heard a slight talk about some pirate craft as hoisteth his majesty's flag upon their villainy. And when first you come up, in the dusk of the night you are the most impudent rogue i ever saw show your bills of lading sir you know his majesty's revenue cruisers as well as i know your smuggling tub ships papers are aboard of her all correct sir keys at your service if you please to feel my pocket objecting to let my hands loose very well i must go on board of her and test a few of your puncheons and bales master brown "'Locker in the master's own cabin, I suppose?' "'Yes, sir, plain as can be, on the starboard side, just behind the cabin door. Only your honour must be smart about it. The time-fuse can't have got three inches left.' "'Time-fuse? What do you mean, you Grimsby villain?' "'Nothing, commander, but to keep you out of mischief. When we were compelled to beach the old craft for fear of them scoundrelly pirates—' It came into my head what a pity it would be to have her used illegal, for she do outsail the most everything, as your honor can bear witness. So I just laid a half-hour fuse to three big powder barrels as is down there in the hold. Then I expect to see a blow up almost every moment. But your honor might be in time yet with a run and a good luck to your foot. You might. Back, lads, back! Every one of you this moment. The first concern of Nettlebones was rightly for his men. "'Under the cliff here! Keep well back! Push out those smuggler fellows into the middle! Let them have the benefit of their own inventions and this impudent Brown the foremost! They have laid a train to their powder-barrels, and the lugger will blow up any moment!' "'No fear for me, Commander!' James Brown shouted through the hurry and jostle of a hundred runaways. "'More fear for that poor man, as lieth there a lurching. She won't hit me when she bloweth up, no more than your honor could, but surely your duty demandeth of you do aboard of the old Bellander and take samples. Sample enough of you, my friend, but I haven't done quite with you yet. Simpson, here, bear a hand with poor Lieutenant Donovan. Nettlebones set a good example by lifting the prostrate Irishman, and they bore him into safety, and drew up there while the beachmen forbidden the shelter at point of cutlass made off right and left and then with a crash that shook the strand and drove back the water in a white turmoil the crown of gold flew into a fount of timber splinters shreds smoke fire and dust gentlemen you may come out of here holes the grimsey man shouted from his mooring post as the echoes ran along the cliffs and rolled to and fro in the distance "'My old woman will miss a piece of my pigtail, but she hasn't hurt her old skipper else. "'She blowed up handsome, and no mistake. "'No more danger, gentlemen, and plenty of stuff to pick up before next payday.' "'What shall we do with that insolent hound?' "'Nettlebones asked poor Donovan, who was groaning in slow convalescence. "'We have caught him in nothing. "'We cannot commit him. "'We cannot even duck him legally.' jabbers let him drink his health in my own potting capital bravo for old ireland my friend you shall see it done and handsomely brown you recommend these waters so you shall have a dose of them a piece of old truncated kelp was found as good a drinking horn as need be and with this captain brown was forced to swallow half a bucketful of his own medical water and they left him fast at his moorings to reflect upon this form of importation. End of Chapter Thirty Two. Recording by Keith Salis.